All right, if you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope that you do, please go ahead and turn with me to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 14, is what we're going to be at this uh, evening. Uh, and so, um, Revelation chapter 14, we'll pick up where we left off, which is uh, in verse 8. We'll actually read um, one through uh, one through eight, just to keep us in in line and in view of where we are. I've covered the first uh, the first seven verses, but uh, um, we'll uh, we'll cover number eight tonight, Lord willing. So, uh, if you're physically able to do so, let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's holy and written word in Revelation chapter fourteen, uh, beginning in verse one. Let's hear the word of the Lord given to us tonight. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand, which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb, whether, whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among them, among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they were without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach to them and dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people." saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of the waters. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we look at verse 8 tonight, we pray that you would give us wisdom and guidance and uh, give us uh, help as we look to uh, better understand what exactly is going on and that your name may be glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So as we said, I know it's been uh, two weeks. I uh, wasn't here last week. Thankful that Brother Ron was able to be here and um, <clears throat> preach uh, in my absence. But uh, I know it's been two weeks. And so just to catch us back up to speed, we we have seen the 144,000 that have returned. They have returned uh, from earlier in the book, and they are now standing and singing. And uh, we talked about um, how, uh, how, how the, the Lord was, uh, um, was at work uh, among, uh, among that group. And we also talked about what was meant uh, by uh, their appearance and where they were where they were appearing, and then we also saw that uh, the angel. There was another angel that had appeared, or there was an angel that appeared uh, in the midst of heaven that was preaching the everlasting gospel. And we said that was not a literal angel, but rather a, a preacher or proclaimer of the gospel, who uh, can also be uh, the the term angel can be applied to, and he was given uh, the, the everlasting gospel to pre to be preached and to proclaim and. And to be uh, to be made uh, to make the gospel known around the world, and so tonight we come to another angel, the second angel that uh, that appears, uh, and he it says, and there followed another angel. So not different than the first angel, right? 
Uh, that's why it says, and there followed another angel. So this is a, a second angel. <clears throat> and again, uh, this, this angel has a, has a purpose. He has a proclamation as well. Uh, the first angel proclaimed the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ and, and proclaimed it to the tribes and the tongues and the peoples of, of the nations. But this angel has a different job uh, and, and, and even more so will the third angel um, have an even, even, uh, even different job than the second angel. I guess that's an okay way of saying that. But, but this, is, this angel has a, has a, stark, uh, a stark difference than the first angel um, because instead of proclaiming the eternal gospel, he is proclaiming the effects of the eternal gospel. What is the effects of the eternal gospel? Well, the attack, the, 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 the effects of the eternal gospel is that of judgment. See, the gospel does two things. Jesus said that he came, uh, he came not to judge the world. Why did he not come to judge the world? Well, Jesus tells us in John chapter 3, because the world is already condemned. And the, world, the world's condemnation is already just and it's already, uh, it's already been proclaimed. Christ came to proclaim the way of salvation and the kingdom of God, that it was at hand and was coming, and the way of salvation through faith alone and by grace alone and Christ alone. And so Jesus came to proclaim the eternal gospel to us, the same gospel that we continue to preach and proclaim to this day. It's the same gospel. It has not changed. But this angel, unlike the first angel, isn't just preaching the gospel. He's preaching the he is preaching the the flip side, the the uh, the opposite uh, side of the coin. Because on one side you have the way of salvation through Christ, and on the other side of the coin, on this coin you have just condemnation for those who don't repent and believe the gospel. And so the gospel can be said to not just be the promise of and being held out, the promise of salvation, but also just like the, at, the, at Mount Gerizim uh, and, and Mount Ebal there in the Old Testament where the nation of Israel gathered one on each side of the valley. and On one side they pronounced the blessings of the covenant. On the other one they pronounced the curses of the covenant. The gospel is the same. With one side the gospel pronounces the blessings of the gospel. God pronounces the blessings of salvation. But on the other side he also pronounces the cursings for those who don't repent and believe the gospel, the cursings upon those who, who do not honor Christ as, as Lord. And this is what the second angel is doing. Now, unlike the third angel who will pronounce the, 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 the justice and the wrath of God upon all of the followers of the, of the false prophets and the, the, the beast, uh, this time the, this angel is simply doing one thing and one thing only pronouncing judgment upon Babylon. And we'll talk more about Babylon here in just a moment. But in doing this, in pronouncing judgment, what ultimately is the angel doing? What ultimately is this preacher doing? Well, quite honestly, this preacher is simply proclaiming the victory of God. In Christ's victory and His everlasting gospel, and in the just condemnation of the false prophet who has led the nations of the world into spiritual fornication, God says, I have the right and the power to judge those who will not bow the knee to Jesus. 
And so they proclaim the fall. This preacher is proclaiming the fall. This angel is proclaiming the fall of Babylon. And so what what does John mean? What does the angel mean when he says Babylon is fallen, is fallen? What, who, who is Babylon? What, what is Babylon? Like, we, we haven't even ran up across Babylon yet. I mean, we've ran across fornication and, and worldliness, and we've ran across all kinds of things. But, but, but Babylon, like what, what, is he talking about physical Babylon? Is he talking about Babylon and Chaldea? Is, uh, is, he, is he mentioning this for another purpose or another reason? Well, he is, he is ultimately saying that this is, he is calling for and, and proclaiming the fall of this spiritual false world worship system. Um, this, uh, because in, in, in chapter 17 and 18, we'll ultimately see this even more so, that there is a, there is a fall of, of, of the spiritual uh, Babylon uh, and then the fall of, of, the, of the physical place and we'll talk more about that when we get to that point but for now what we need to know is by this proclamation what the angel is proclaiming is the victory of God over this false worship this false world system of of worship he is he is proclaiming God's victory and that's the purpose of 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 not just pastors elders but evangelists too isn't it Our purpose as evangelists, and and I include all of us in that because that's what we're all called to do, is we are all called to to preach the the victory of God through the coming of Jesus Christ. We're called to proclaim the spiritual reign of Christ in the world. We're called to remind sinners that the gospel guarantees that any and all world systems that raise themselves up against Christ will be put down. And this is ultimately what we're calling sinners to do when we proclaim the gospel to them and call them to repentance and faith in Christ. It's it's to come to an end of yourself, your own spiritual Babylon that you're worshiping yourself, you're worshiping your idols, you're worshiping whatever it is that you're worshiping, family, success, um, you know, whatever the case may be. It is a call to the end of self and coming in alignment with Christ. But here, ultimately, it is more than just personally it's now a proclamation of promise of God's wrath to be poured out as well upon this this false worship system as well as as the the promise of God's victory over uh, over this false worldly worship system the worship system of the beast the one that the beast has set up the one that this false prophet is now has been made king over has been made uh, ruler over to to run and to rule over and this is, this is ultimately what, what we need to understand, though, is that the gospel guarantees and promises from the very first moment, the gospel guarantees the fall of Babylon. It is certain. It is at hand. It is never in question. It is never in doubt. Babylon will fall. Rome will fall. The, 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 the false world system of worship will fall. It will fall. And it's interesting because Rome ultimately did fall to Christianity. It's an amazing reality that Rome did fall to Christianity. Rome did become a, a, a you, can, you can argue, we can argue to, to greater or lesser degrees, but it became a Christian nation. The gospel conquered the pagan gods, as the gospel continues to do to this day. 
The gospel continues to conquer the pagan gods. The gospel continues to move forward. The gospel continues to spread out and to branch out. No matter how many people chop at it, no matter how many people try to burn it or try to get rid of it or pour gasoline on it or whatever else the case may be, the gospel will succeed. Let me tell you a story. You may know this story, but maybe you don't. But in eastern Kentucky, we have this little plant called kudzu. This thing is the most invasive species of plant you will ever meet. It was brought over in World War II. Um, and it was brought over by World War II by, uh, by a group of GIs uh, who thought it was pretty, grew perfectly well in Japan, and uh, was, was just a nice little plant. Uh, it liked the state of Kentucky and Tennessee and West Virginia so well that when they brought it over, it took over because the climate was just right for this little invasive species of plant. And it doesn't matter. You can burn this thing. You can pour gasoline on it. Every year, you see the state and the county doing the exact same thing, getting in there, chopping back big swaths of this stuff every year. And you know what? By April of the next year, it's all back plus some. Taking over more trees, taking over more plants, taking over more territory. Well, in a much more positive way, that is the gospel. It doesn't matter how you how you cut it back. It doesn't matter how you try to burn it. It doesn't matter how you try to destroy it. It doesn't matter how you try to get rid of it. The gospel is going to move forward. It is going to move forward. And this is, this is the promise of the gospel here. But um, it does proclaim, the angel, this angel, this messenger does proclaim, it proclaims a message. And, and this is an interesting message that he proclaims. He says, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, <coughs> excuse me, that great city. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city. Now, if you know anything about, about the Old Testament, you might think, hmm, it seems like somewhere I have heard this before. Well, in truth, um, you have heard this before. Now, back in Isaiah... Chapter 21, Isaiah actually makes a prophecy against the nation um, of Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon, promising utter destruction. And in Isaiah 21, 9, it says, Isaiah prophesying says, And, he, and behold, here cometh a chariot of, chariot of men with a couple of horsemen. And he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And all the graven images of her gods he has broken unto the ground. Now, now contrast this again with what the angel is here crying out in Revelation 14 in verse 8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. <coughs> it's just a... It's just a it's just a restating of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was, was certainly prophesying against a physical nation, Babylon, whereas here the, the proclamation is against spiritual um, Babylon and, and, and the religion of the beast. But, but, but John uh, hears God's own messenger who's inspired to take up the words of Isaiah and apply it here to spiritual Babylon. It's the religion of the beast, uh, and, and, and in saying that, when I'm saying the religion of the beast, I'm not talking about the world 
or the religions of the world in general, although they, they, would certainly they would certainly be included in the fact that they are going to be put down one day. Um, and, and it's not the political system, um, because that's still to come, the, the political system of the beast. That's, we'll, as I said, in chapter 17 and 18 of Revelation, we'll see how that plays out. It's the political uh, world, the, the world of, of the beast, uh, his, the, the, the political realm of the beast is, is taken away, and he is brought down and humbled um, and humiliated, but it's not, so it's not the political Babylon, it's not, it's not, it's not the, the, the politics of the beast, um, and as I've already said, it's not to be confused with Babylon in, in, in Chaldea, right, that's, that's not, uh, that's not, uh, that's not the, what, what he is referencing either, uh, but instead, as I said, it's the religious center, it is the religious center of the beast that is run by the false prophet. This is, this is what the angel is proclaiming is going to be destroyed, has been destroyed, is going to be destroyed, will be destroyed. Um, it, it, is, it is coming, going to come to an end. And why is it that God at this point now remembers religious Babylon? Well, uh, why? Well, first, it's because he, he, he is rightly and justly going to pour out his wrath on them. You say, well, what do you mean? Why, why would he do that? Well, look with me in verse, seven, or verse 8. In the last part, it says, She made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath. But, but why, why wrath? And the, the implication is the wrath of God. right? That's the implication. Drink the wine of the wrath of God uh, of her fornication or because of her fornication or on account of her fornication. On account of her spiritual fornication. That's the understanding there. The, the understanding is that, that, that she has led the nations astray. The false prophet has led the nations astray. And the wrath of God has come upon them rightly, particularly starting with the head, the false prophet, because they have caused the nations, he has caused the nations to worship falsely. And he has, caused, he has taken away the right worship of God and placed it upon the beast and the religious center of the beast. And so God is, God is not pleased. And so God pours out his wrath upon, upon spiritual Babylon here, upon this religious center. Um, as a matter of fact, it is interesting here that as we read on in Revelation chapter 17, you'll see in 18, you'll see that, that um, uh, those who once loved her, as a matter of fact, actually grow to hate her because of because, of, uh, um, because God turns their hearts against them. And they turn on her and they, they, they devour her and they destroy her. And well, as I said, we'll see more on that later. But, but the reality is, is God is going to cause those who once loved her to hate her. And through the preaching of the gospel, she is going to fall. Through the preaching of the gospel, she is going to fall. Just like the walls of Jericho, the, the ram's horn blast of the gospel will bring her to her knees. I say, well, where do you get that from? Well, I point you back to verses 6 and 7. What was it the first messenger was crying? He was preaching the gospel, the everlasting gospel. And because he was preaching the everlasting gospel, by result, justice must fall. Wrath must fall. If God is just, God must punish the nations for their wickedness. God must punish all who will not repent and believe the gospel. He must do this. Because if he didn't, he would cease to be God. 
Right? That's why God can't just up and forgive just willy-nilly people's sins. Right? God can't just up and say, oh, you know what, I, no big deal, no, no harm, no foul. That's, he can't do that. Because if he were to do that, he would deny himself. He would, <coughs> he would sin against himself. And so God justly and righteously judges the nations. And why is it that she falls? Because, this is, the, this is the text, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And by fornication is meant the idolatry of this false church. Right? You understand that as you look at the landscape here, when I say false church, what I mean is exactly that. Um, I, I don't think that as you look at Revelation and as you see the, 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 kingdom, the, the kingdom of the beast coming into power and the false prophet and, 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 and the dragon and all of this, this unholy trinity, um, as you see this all coming together, their purpose is not to the purpose is not to set something together that looks entirely other than, than what Christ would do. No, no, no. The purpose of this is to draw men into it because it looks like something Jesus would do. It's antichrist not because it's directly and diametrically opposed, but it's antichrist because it's seeking to usurp that which only belongs to Christ. And so I don't think, I think we would be wrong to think that this idea of idolatry is that this false beast and this false prophet comes along and just says, hey, I've got a new religion and waving the flag of a new religion. It's not how this is going to work. But instead, I believe fully will come under the, the marks of, the, of, of becoming idolatrous because he establishes a quote unquote false church. And truthfully, my, my, my brothers and sisters, let, let me just say this, and I mean no, no disrespect to, to any of our, our sister churches who continue to hold to the gospel, but to those who don't, I, I think you clearly see that, that there are many who willingly are willing to jettison everything for the sake of unity. There are so many, quote-unquote, churches who are so willing for the sake of unity to jettison everything everything they want to they want to they want to get along they want to go along to get along they want to they want to be nice they want to play nice they want to they want and there's nothing wrong with wanting to be nice I mean a good gracious nobody wants to be a jerk hopefully um, if you do then repent but I mean ultimately like the, this whole idea of unity above truth is is hellish this this idea of unity above truth is hellish we should love and value truth. We shouldn't be schismatics. In other words, we shouldn't be looking for reasons to fight. But my goodness, when truth is being challenged, we shouldn't sit back on our heels and say, oh, oops. We should be willing to stand for truth and stand up and be counted for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, this isn't pointing fingers at, at, at churches specifically. I, I'm just saying that so it, it looks like so often. I mean, you look at you look at liberal denominations as a whole. They are so willing for the sake of, of, of unity and going along to get along, to jettison everything. And it's a sad reality. 
But here's the truth. God rejects all idolatrous worship. We say, well now, what do you mean? We see, a lot of times we think of Israel and Judah as being um, like they, they, they worshipped other gods by like introducing all of these new, uh, these new ways and these new things. But in reality, how did they, how did they, they subvert the worship of the Lord, uh, of, of the, of the Lord, of, of the God of Israel? Well, truthfully, um, by adding things he had not instructed for them to add. By doing things that he had not instructed them to do. It wasn't so much that they it wasn't so much that they stopped doing anything that had been prescribed. It was just that they began doing other things and they began to give God consorts and mistresses and began to mingle in the worship of Yahweh of God of Jehovah with other religions around them and they began to mingle that together. I mean, God himself even rebukes the nations of Israel and Judah by saying, I'm sick of your new moons and your feasts. So it, he, had already, he had told them to do the new moons and the feasts. So they were doing it. But they weren't doing it rightly. They weren't doing it correctly. They were not doing it as he had commanded them to do it. And we see this in places like um, Jeremiah chapter 3. In Jeremiah chapter 3, we have the prophet, of course, uh, Jeremiah, um, telling the people of Israel. In Jeremiah 3, 6, he says, The Lord had said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen, or have you seen, that which backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under, and, and under every green tree and has played the harlot. How? not worshiping in the prescribed methods that God had told them by not worshiping the way God had instructed them we also see this however in in another place we also see this not just in Jeremiah but we also see this in the the prophet Ezekiel Ezekiel the prophet um, was not a um, was not a very uh, um, wasn't always a well-liked man like the rest of the prophets but in Ezekiel chapter 23 Listen to, what, uh, listen to what is said here in verses 2 and 3. Ezekiel chapter 23, verses 2 and 3. It says this. Oops, that's 24. Excuse me. 23, 2 and 3. It says, Son of man, there were two women and daughters of one mother, and they committed whoredoms in Egypt. They committed whoredoms in their youth. There were their breasts pressed, and they were bruised. Um, the teats of their virginity... And the names of them were Ahola, the elder, and Aholabama, her sister. And they were mine. And they bore, they bare sons and daughters. Thus were their names. Samaria is Ahola, and Jerusalem Aholabama. And Ahola played the, the harlot when she was mine, and she doted on her lovers, the Assyrians, her neighbors, which were clothed with blue, captains and rulers, all of them desirable young men, horsemen riding upon horses, Thus she committed her whoredoms with them, with all them that were the chosen men of Assyria, and with all on whom she doted, and with the idols she defiled herself. And on and on he goes, rebuking them for their spiritual idolatry. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a real reality, even for us today. So much so that it describes the allure of her, her the description of her, her allure here, doesn't it? 
Because notice what it says here in verse 8 of of Revelation. Uh, Listen, it says, And she made all nations drink of the wine. Drink of the wine. Now, why, why why does the angel describe her temptations as 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 wine why why would she why would they do that well i think there's a couple different things one uh i I think one it's meant uh to show the allurement uh two the intoxicating effect (laughs) of what she was offering but third again uh, it is being offered to us as a as a way of showing us the anti lord's supper this is an anti-Lord's Supper here. Just as Jesus gave to the church uh, the bread and the wine, uh, so here the, uh, the, the false prophet has given, uh, has given the, the wine of the, of the religious idolatry. He has set up this competing religion and trying, seeking and has intoxicated the world and has set a trap. I mean, think about all the things that she promises. Think about, think about everything religion promises. Um, if, if, you're, if, you're, uh, right, if you're in the, uh, uh, I guess, the, uh, uh, the upper echelons of, of power, religion offers you things like riches and honor, offers you the pleasure of this world, but truthfully, it offers great deceptiveness, too, because it, sh- it, it can lead to, to showing religious devotion, but it's false. It's false religious devotion because it's not offered to the Lord. And it can even at times work miracles and signs and even what the Bible calls lying wonders. And that's, that's what the false prophet is allowed to do. As we've gone through Revelation, we've seen the false prophet be allowed and the beast be allowed to do all kinds of, of lying wonders and miracles and signs. But ultimately, here, what is unleashed? We will talk more about this next week. But let me say this clearly. The wrath of God is unleashed. Now, to us, that may not sound like a big deal. But maybe it's not a big deal because we've not spent enough time contemplating what it means for the wrath of God to be unveiled, to be unveiled upon sinners. When we talk about the wrath of God, we are not talking about God getting angry for a moment. We're not talking about God somehow stirring himself up to make sure all the wrongs are righted, although that's certainly true. But when we talk about the wrath of God, we are talking about the removal of mercy upon sinners. Mercy is now gone. Grace is now done. And God at last allows them to experience what has already been true, that the wrath of God already abides on them. He now, though, allows them to taste it at long last. So when we talk about the wrath of God, we should, I hope, do so weeping. This is why throwaway throwaway phrases about hell are so very wicked. It has no understanding of the wrath of God. And this, this is not just because of her sin, right? This is because she is going to taste this, spiritual Babylon will taste this, 
because all the nations have been drawn away, but she's not the only one. The nations will taste it, but the nations alone won't taste it. Men are going, and women are going to taste this, as we'll see next week. Men and women will taste the wrath of God. This is a very real truth. This is a very real reality. And I, I would simply... I would simply quote Jerry Bridges, who was a, a who was a, a great author. I think a very very short um, author wrote a lot of books, but a lot of shorter books, great books. And he said this to say about the wrath of God. I want to quote him. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> it says the wrath of God is a subject in, ignored by most believers. Perhaps we shy away from it because of the violent emotions and behavior we frequently associate with the word wrath when used of sinful human beings. I suspect, however, that the more basic reason we avoid or ignore this subject is that we simply don't think of our sinfulness as warranting that degree of judgment. But the Bible doesn't give us that option. Although God's wrath does not contain the sinful emotions associated with human wrath, it does contain a, fi- a fierce and fiery intensity that arises from his settled opposition to sin and his determination to punish it to the utmost. God, by the very perfection of his moral nature, cannot, cannot but be angry at sin, not only because of the destructiveness to humans, but more importantly, because of its assault on his divine majesty. God must and will punish sin. And so I would simply say this, brothers and sisters, we are and will continue to be bombarded by the beast's world system until he fully arises. Satan ultimately bombards us time and time again by by all kinds of temptations and allurements. We are daily attacked by the dragon, our adversary, the devil, who we're told prowls around like a roaring lion. Honestly, in the weeks past, we've constantly talked about temptation and the importance of standing in the Spirit, the importance of endurance, the importance of walking in Christ, the importance of knowing that you are in Christ, the importance of of moving forward in Christ. The manner and the motive for our endurance is described here. And it's simply this. It is that our faith is placed firmly and solely in the God of, of <clears throat> in the God of heaven, and not the God of this world. Our motive is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> because of what God has done through Jesus, and because what God promises to do for us in Jesus. We believe Him. We trust Him. We do not turn from Him. We resist temptation. We 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 do not allow the world to promise us counterfeit rest. But instead, we press on to the rest that only God gives us in Christ. And truthfully, God uses, as we'll see, God uses warnings as hell, warnings of hell, not as a way to, not as a way to try to scare us, not as a bedtime story for children who tries to scare us, right, into living better, but instead to remind us that it is a very real truth for those who do not know Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior and as a way to sober us to the reality that we are called upon to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world because the dead will or the, the, the living will eventually die and they will give an account. 
And they will either give an account having been ready because they have heard and repented of Christ and trusted in Christ, or they will, they will not be ready and they, when called into account, will not have a defense attorney for their case and they will taste the wrath of God. This is serious business. As we'll see next week, as hell itself is actually described, God in Revelation 14 describes the unleashing of hell itself upon sinners who do not repent and believe the gospel, upon the nations, not just, not just the false prophet, but also upon the nations. And so let me, let, me, let, me, let me encourage you to look to Christ if you have not. And if you have looked to Christ, then be thankful. Be thankful for the grace of God that has come to you in Christ and look for ways to share the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that it is through his eternal gospel that the, that the kingdoms of this nation, that the kingdoms of this world are going to bow. The nations are going to be leveled before you. And God, we thank you that the gospel is powerful enough. And it is more than enough to destroy, to destroy the, the opposition. It doesn't matter how many times it's burned or cut back or... People try to kill it, God, we know, and we thank you that it is going to press forward. So, God, help us as our place in our time that we find ourselves in to be faithful, to preach Jesus. God, I pray that we would have opportunities, that you would give us opportunities, whether it be in our workplaces or in our, uh, our uh, wherever, our, our, uh, um, our homes, as we, as we uh, share the gospel with children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren or, God, uh, stores or places, uh, just, just vacations. God, give us opportunities, we pray, to share the gospel and to, uh, to call sinners to repentance and faith. May you give us the boldness and the courage that we need to do this, Father. And we thank you for Jesus, most of all, and for giving us the hope that we found in him, uh, that's been found in him. And we pray this in his name.